Good morning, church. You can have a seat. Uh, glad that you guys are, are here this morning. If you're newer or maybe visiting for the first time, uh, I am not the regular uh, preacher here at Disciples Church. Uh, pastor Joshua is our normal preaching pastor, and uh, he... Uh, rarely takes time off, but uh, got to get a few days off and asked if I would fill in, and it really is my pleasure and honor to do so. Uh, my name is Stephen Obert. I'm the youth director here at Disciples Church. I'm also yes, thank you. I'm also a uh, member of our teaching team for our midweek uh, lessons that we do. So, um, if you have your Bibles, grab them out. Uh, if you do need a Bible, I think we. M- don't have any in the back. Never mind. New restrictions. Sorry. Uh, never mind. Use your phone. Um, but, but pull your Bibles out. Open up to Romans chapter 7. I'm, I'm going to pray for our time, uh, and then we will dive in. Romans chapter 7. First, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, for the time that you've given us to come together. Uh, for the fellowship of the saints. In your name, thank you for a Sabbath, a a day of rest for our bodies, for our minds to uh, turn from the worldly focuses that often consume our days and focus rather on you, uh, who you are, what you've done, the, the many ways that you've blessed us. I pray that we would use this time well, that we would honor you in our thoughts, in our understanding of your word, that uh, your word would rightly be proclaimed, that you would keep us from error, um, that you would, uh, that your spirit would use your word to convict our heart, to uh, help continue to grow us, to stretch us, to uh, apply your word to our lives daily. We thank you so much for this time. We pray that we would make much of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in Romans chapter 7, and and that's where we're going to spend the the bulk of my preaching time. But uh, in my last point, we're going to jump over to Colossians. So if it's helpful, stick a pin or something in the book of Colossians, and you can find it quicker later. For now, Romans chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, But I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not, sorry, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. 
Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Christian, have you felt this internal battle with and against sin? My hope today is to equip you with the weapons that God has given us to really do battle with this. You see, there is no magic pill. There there is no perfect prayer. There is no power within us to completely end sin altogether. As long as we are living, this war within us will rage on. And it has more than a few times in my own life brought me to the point of exhaustion. But God does not grow weary or faint. And if this is you or has been you, I I aim to draw our hearts up out of those dark skies that loom over this battle and draw them onto a much better focus this morning. To do that well, I want to start our time by simply unpacking a few of the key words or phrases in this section of Scripture. Uh, I want to define the terms, so to speak. Secondly, I want to look deeper into this battle so that we rightly understand the tumultuous thoughts of Paul here in Romans 7. And then lastly, I want to point you to the proper tools for this battle. So again, uh, defining the terms... Uh, looking deeper at the battle within, and then looking at the tools for this battle. Point one, defining the terms. Romans seven fourteen through 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Right out of the gate, there are two words that really need to be understood well to understand Paul's point in this entire section. Those two words are the law and the flesh. At this point in the passage, Paul is referring to God's good and perfect law. God's law as it applies to Paul and us now who are under the new covenant. So when Paul refers to the law In regards to God's law, it is all of the commandments that God has given us in the New Covenant time, and it's all of the specific commandments that God gave to Paul as an apostle. Then we come to the term flesh. One major false teaching during the apostolic age was Gnosticism. This system believes that only the spiritual things are good, And that everything physical is bad. There is no good in anything physical or material. Only spiritual is good. For clarity's sake, Paul is not teaching that here in Romans chapter 7. That's not why he's using the term flesh. When Paul is speaking of the flesh, he is talking about sinful desires that still dwell within him. Sinful, fleshly desires is the way he's using that term. Each of us who God has saved likewise have a previous 
testimony of being apart from God at some point in our life. We were all born under sin, and therefore we all have this old person, as Paul says it elsewhere in Scripture, or fleshly desires that even after salvation are, are constantly fighting to aim to bring us back into the slavery of sin where we once were prior to being saved by God. In fact, as we've seen in our Ephesians series thus far, Paul is encouraging the church to no longer walk in their former ways, calling them to put off the old self and put on the new self. When Paul is referring to the flesh in this section of Romans chapter 7, the flesh and the old self are the same thing. He's referring to old, sinful, fleshly desires. And Pastor Joshua has been such a great blessing to us as he's been preaching through the book of Ephesians and drawing out a lot of clear instruction for us to put off the old self and to put on the new self in Christ, to live as those new creations that Christ has made us, if indeed we have true faith. So keep those uh, understanding of those terms as we continue to dig into Romans chapter 7. It'll be really helpful to get what Paul is getting at. Verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Uh, I love Paul. Sometimes when he's writing, he, he likes to say things backwards and then forwards again and then backwards and can be a little confusing. Uh, so really quick, what Paul is saying here is that his desire to not want to do sin prove that the law of God is good. That's why he desires to not want to break it, right? It is the thing he as a believer desires with his mind or heart to obey. He believes that it is good. And since this is the case, since he does not want to sin or break God's law, he's saying that he agrees with God's law that it is indeed good. Verse 17, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul declares that he does not want to do these sins. However, there is still an an enemy at hand, and it wages war against the new heart and mind that were given to Paul at his conversion. This enemy, sin, dwells within us. Now, we're going to dig into this more in my next point, but uh, there are still a few things to clear up before we go there. So let's read verses 18 through 20. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul repeats the dilemma here again that he finds himself in as a believer. He does not literally mean that nothing good dwells in him. Again, rather, see that when he uses this statement, he brings the clarifying term of in his flesh. So think old, sinful, fleshly desires. Nothing good dwells in my old man prior to Christ saving me. I did nothing but sin prior to God graciously giving me a new heart. I could do nothing but sin. And so see Paul making that statement and pointing at that old man. Um, 
Paul was speaking of a current struggle as a believer and referring to the old self or the fleshly desires that still dwell in him. One key point to see is that Paul would not desire to obey the law of God. He would not hate sin if he were not a believer. And so we know that he is referring to a very real struggle that we as believers experience. In fact, his personal testimony here of that struggle is truly a rich blessing to us. And there's one more big clarity that I want to bring prior to moving to our second point. Verses 21 through 23. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We see here in these verses, Paul is speaking of two laws, two opposing laws. He's speaking of the good law of God that he delights in in his inner being, and then the law of sin, which remains a battle for him because of his old self, his old sinful fleshly desires. John Owen, in his book on indwelling sin, says this about the law of sin. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He's he's quoting the Romans passage here. That which he here calls the law of his mind, from the principal subject and seat of it, is in itself no other but the law of the spirit of life which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 2 of Romans or the effectual power of the Spirit of grace, as was said. But the law as applied unto sin has a double sense. For as in the first place I see a law in my members, it denotes that the being and nature of sin, so in the latter, leading into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members, it signifies its power and efficacy. And both these are compromised in the same way, sorry, in the same name, singly used. Chapter 7, verse 21. Now that which we observe from this name or term of a law attributed unto sin, that there is an exceedingly, sorry, an exceeding efficacy and power in the remainders of indwelling sin in believers, with a constant working towards evil. Thus it is in believers, it is a law even in them, though not to them. Though its rule be broken, its strength weakened and impaired, its root mortified, yet it is a law still of great force and efficacy. Owen's drawing out the reason why Paul uses the term law. He's saying it it is constant as God's laws are constant, And in the heart of all men, so is the law of sin. Until Christ consummates all things, we will have sin to deal with. Uh, It's powerful. Uh, It is not, it does not have authority over believers. It is not more powerful than God. But it is a very powerful adversary for Christians to do battle with. As believers, we likely don't need to be told that the old self or old sinful fleshly desires are still very strong within us. 
I probably don't have to convince you that you need to always be on guard against your old self and your sinful desires. You must walk in a manner worthy of the new person you are in Christ. To do this, we we have to constantly be on guard. Sin does not take days off. It doesn't rest. It is always at war. Most honest believers know this battle and know it well. It is, in fact, this very battle that has left me crying out, as Paul does in the next verse, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? One final clarity I want to show for this point is this. Uh, In Romans chapter 8, just shortly after this verse, Paul is going to speak about those who are in the flesh as opposed to those who are in the Spirit. When he does this, he's not using the term flesh the same way he's using it here. When he uses the term in the flesh in Romans chapter 8, he's speaking about unbelievers, those who are still in the flesh. They're not in Christ. They're not in the Spirit. Here in Romans 7, he says that he loves the law of God, that he desires to do good. So it's clear that he is in Christ, or he would not have a heart that does this. Um, so I just I, we're not going to dig into Romans 8 this morning, but I thought that might be helpful for future study, so I hope that is. Now that we've defined some of the terms, let's look a, a little bit closer at the battle within Paul, and therefore within all of us believers after him. Point two, the battle within. Uh, it may seem repetitive, but I, I want to read that whole section again just so that we uh, draw our eyes to the big picture, and then we're going to break down those verses in Romans chapter 7 once more. Romans seven fourteen through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Remember, see my old sinful fleshly desires. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see, for the believer, for those who have been freed from the enslavement of sin, from our our old dead-in-sin selves, we still have a very real and dangerous adversary lurking within us. When we want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
You see, Paul delights in the law of God, and, and all believers should. We must delight in the law of God. The law of God, as David says in the Psalms, uh, in Psalm 19, 7 through 11, is perfect. And let's read this real quick. Uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. God's commandments and precepts are good. They help us to know when we are not in line with God. And we are warned that there is great reward for us in keeping them. Church obedience to God's law is not a killjoy. But Paul's not writing this passage and just, just, woe is me, God's law is so burdensome. Paul is saying that he delights in the law of the Lord. And the battle against sin is real and burdensome. Now, I'm heavily leaning in on this part because I don't want any of you to be confused by what Paul is showing us in this letter. He declares that the commands are a delight to his heart, that he longs to obey them. And it should be so for us as well if you are professing faith in Christ. So how does he get from God's law is amazing and good and I delight in it to, oh, wretched man that I am? Romans 7, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. As believers, we have an honest and weighty battle within ourselves. From the old man who did not know, love, or pursue God, but loved sin and only pursued it, the old man that Scripture again and again warns us to put off, he is not powerless. To be clear, the old man, your old self, your old fleshly desires that are sinful, no longer have you enslaved. They do not have authority over Christ, and in Christ you are now freed from the enslavement of sin. However, that doesn't mean that you are completely freed from sin's temptations and the old self who has been conquered by Christ Rather, the reality we find ourselves in as believers is a reality of constant and continual battle. At minimum, it is constant guard against the old self and the old sin. Paul, in a very unique way, is unpacking this reality in chapter 7 of Romans almost as a personal testimony to us. He declares that there is a law, a certainty at hand, that when he wants to do good, when he wants to honor God and joyfully obey God's good law, evil is just waiting there. It is close at hand. We have an enemy in us, and that enemy is sin. This is what our old self was through and through. And though Christ has put that old self to death, we still have to wage war against it. Now, close at hand may not seem uncomfortably close, uh, 
But Paul declares that it's so close that it is in his members. Verse 23, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And I really want to be careful here. Um, I want you to see that this term, making me captive, is not the same as those uh, who are dead in their sin and then for, therefore enslaved. Um, we know this because Paul in Romans chapter 6 declares as much. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved. As believers, we are not enslaved to sin. Our old self was only able to sin continually because it was dead and enslaved to sin. When God causes new life within you, That new life came with new desires and new affections, new abilities to honor God, to obey his commands. We love the Lord, and if we were still enslaved to sin, this would not be possible. So you can see there is a real battle here. The redeemed have been made new and given a new disposition towards God and his good law, but the fallen flesh remains with us in our life in this first creation. So sin's temptation is still a, a reality for us to deal with. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 says this, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. God is clear here that those who are in Christ do not have to allow or permit sin to reign as if we were enslaved. This is no longer the case for God's people. We are freed from this. Uh, A few years back, Pastor Rob made this point uh, with me in a counseling session that I had with the elders. I had been addressing some areas of my life where there was just a continual failure to uh, enjoy sin and to dig into it rather than to put it away and, and just be done with it. It's the kind of sin that just keeps coming back. I'm sure many of you know it's, you've got a few of those where you're like, yeah, it's that one. It's that one that I keep going back to. And um, Pastor Rob said that one of the things he believed I needed to hear the most was this very truth. He said, you do not have to believe the lie of sin. You do not have to give in to its deceitfulness that somehow it has uh, authority and that you'll never grow and put this thing to death. He said that is a lie from sin. In Christ, you are freed from that slavery and you need to be telling yourself that it is a lie because in Christ, you can put this down. You can put this to death. Rob said, you are new in Christ. You are not enslaved any longer. So stop believing the lie that you cannot put these things to death and move forward. It was a great blessing to me at that time. And it's something that I remind myself of daily. When in my mind I am tempted to sin, I remind myself, he has no authority over me. I don't have to obey it. 
I am Christ's. He is my Lord. He has authority in my life, not sin. Perhaps, though, you may be asking why Paul is stating so clearly that this law of sin within him and his members is trying to take him captive. This is key, Christian. Hear this. On this side of glory, we will exist in a fallen world. We will be in battle against our old fleshly sinful desires, the old man we were before Christ made us new. Sin will not disappear. We will not be sinless until Christ returns and consummates all things. So there is a battle to wage, a war against sin to fight, against the old self. And many times, if we're honest, it really feels like we're losing that battle. And Paul is showing us that that's real. That's real for a believer. It's a, it's a reality. And, and can I just say, as a side note, what a blessing from God that I'm not left wondering if I'm the only crazy person who feels like I'm, I'm stuck in this constant, exhausting war. What a blessing from God to show us that that is a genuine reality for believers. Scripture reads us, church. It does so because it is God's word. God knows you and I better than we know ourselves. And so his very word will know us. It will read us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word discerns our thoughts, our, the intentions of our heart. His, his word, God himself, knows who we are and what we are doing. And so therefore, his word reads us. Scripture knows our struggles. It knows our failures. It knows the beautiful grace of God to rescue us from them. When Paul declares that there is a law waging war against the law of his mind and making him captive to the law of sin, he is not declaring in any way that Christ has failed or that he is again enslaved to sin. Actually, what God is showing us today is that the battle within against the old self is hard-pressed battle. It is not as easy as God causing new life within us and then boom, everything is sunshine and roses, no more sin. We don't have to worry about anything again, right? That's not how God has, has made it work. We are no longer enslaved to sin, but we have a real adversary within us that is sin, the old self, old sinful desires. And it will pursue us until the Lord calls us home or returns. Its desire is to enslave us if it had the power to do so. But in Christ it does not, praise God. And this is Paul's point. His, his flesh, the old self that he is calling in the law in his members, is trying to take over and rule because it does not like that God has removed sin's throne in your heart. It does not like that. Sin wants that position back. Sin will always fight to dishonor God. It is in its nature to do so. 
In any and every way possible, sin aims to attack the holiness and goodness of God. As long as sin exists, this will be its aim. I want to share another helpful quote from John Owen's book on indwelling sin about this point. When a man has enmity itself to deal with, nothing is to be expected but continual fighting to the destruction of the one party. If it be not overcome and destroyed, it will overcome and destroy the soul. It is not only said to be enmity, but it is said to be enmity against God. It has chosen a great enemy indeed. It is in sundry places proposed as our enemy, 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. They are enemies to the soul, that is, to ourselves, sometimes as an enemy to the spirit that is in us. The flesh, the flesh lusteth or fighteth against the spirit, Galatians 5.17. It fights against the spirit or the spiritual principle that is in us to conquer it. It fights against our souls to destroy them. It has special ends and designs against our souls and against the principle of grace that is in us. But its proper formal object is God. It is enmity against God. It is its work to oppose grace. It is a consequent of its work to oppose our souls, which follows upon what it does more than what it intends. But its nature and formal design is to oppose God. God as the lawgiver, God as holy, God as the author of the gospel, a way of salvation by grace and not by works. This is the direct object of the law of sin. Why does it oppose duty so that the good we would not, sorry, the good we would do, we do not, either as to matter or manner? Why does it render the soul carnal, indisposed, unbelieving, unspiritual, weary, wandering? It is because of its enmity to God, whom the soul aims to have communion with in duty. It has, as it were, that command from Satan which the Assyrians had from their king. Fight neither with great nor small, save only with the king of Israel. It is neither great nor small, but God himself, the king of Israel, that sin sets itself against. There lies the secret, formal reason of all its opposition to good, even because it relates unto God. You see... Indwelling sin is always aiming at God. It hopes to take us with it. It hopes to use us to reach its aim. But the reason it will never stop is because it is not just aiming at you. Its primary enmity is with God. And because God will never stop, neither will sin until that glorious day when Christ puts it to its end. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm relieved. No? All right. Of course, I'm kidding. Sin still has its effect on us in our fallen flesh. Sin's temptations are always aiming to dethrone God as our heart's ultimate desire. It is, therefore, unwilling to give over in any way, or better said, it won't give over until God puts a final end to it completely. 
Romans 7, verses 21 through 24. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul shows us that this fight is real, that he longs for it to be over. It is weighty, it is long, it is exhausting, it's tiring, and it will continue as long as God gives you life in this first creation. I've sat with so many brothers and sisters in Christ who shared that they literally felt crazy, like they're fighting this inner dialogue against themselves, against this old desire, this old self, this, this old fleshly sinful thoughts. Christian, don't be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin, namely that you are crazy. This battle is real. Paul himself unpacks it. Oh, he might sound crazy. I, I, I do what I don't want. I don't do what I do want. I don't know what's going on. There's this battle. So when you are talking to yourself, and you are telling those old sinful desires that they do not have rule in your heart anymore, that you have new affections, that the things they promise you will not come true and you know it, don't feel crazy. That is the battle we have to do. Also, avoid an even bigger lie that sin loves to promote. Namely, that since this battle rages on and you have not won it, you must not belong to God. It's the worst way I see sin being deceitful in the hearts of believers. Scripture does indeed speak to the man or woman who practices unrepentant sin as not being of God. However, the one who is in the battle would never have suited up for war if not for God's work in their heart. You would not hate sin. You would not struggle here. You would not cry out, O wretched man that I am. So don't believe the deceitfulness of sin that says, Oh, you did it again. You don't belong to God. Paul says this battle is happening even to Paul, an apostle who wrote Scripture. Have you ever felt the same cry here that Paul gives? Have you been in these shoes crying out, why do I still have this enemy in my flesh that continually tries to keep me from honoring the God whom I love? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Did you see Paul's answer earlier? He said, praise God through Christ Jesus. It's not as if he doesn't know who delivered him. Paul is also not hoping to die in the passage. <laughs> he is not wondering who his deliverer is. Rather, Paul is bringing an emphasis to the weight of this battle against the old self. Christian, don't be surprised. It is heavy. It is hard. It is, it is the work that the Lord has given us to do now. 
to put off our old self, to put on our new self, to aim to glorify him in it. And it's an ugly battle. It's a war. Praise God for this clarity, church. Praise God for his word, for Paul's testimony here. You're not crazy. Neither was Paul. Do you feel wretched and worn out from battling sin and striving to honor God in all that you think and do? So did Paul. And God graciously shares that with us by giving us this glimpse in his word. Now again, I want to be clear. Paul knows who his deliverer is. It is the very thing he proclaims in the next verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who can deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He delivered me. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul knows his only hope and rest is found in the reality that Jesus has defeated sin and death, and he will return one day to end this battle once and for all. But until then, Paul says, I will serve the law of God with my mind, and I will battle with my old self and the law of sin until God takes me home. He is my Lord. He's simply stating that Christ is his Lord and he will battle on, knowing that the war is not over, knowing that the old self and the new creation are going to battle and that God has grace and mercy upon us in it. Because this enemy is already inside the gates, so to speak, already within us, we must keep watch over ourselves constantly. There is not a time where a Christian is free to think that the old self in sin will not rear its ugly head anymore. It is always waiting. It is always at the door. In one area it may have been put to death, it springs up in another. And you know this well. If you have been a Christian for any time, you know this. So I want you to hear this and And not to think that there's some mental problem with you, that you're having conversations in your head. Of course you are. You're battling sin in your mind. In fact, see that God inspired Paul to write these weighty sentences in Scripture so that we would be aware of the battle and so that we would know how to fight, so that we would remind ourselves who has delivered us from this body of death, from the old wretched men. God's command is for us to fight, to glorify him, to be satisfied in him, to enjoy and obey his good law. God's command for us is to not give in to sin. And if you are a Christian, Christ has removed sin's authority from you. You are under Christ's authority. You are hidden in him. So don't believe its lies. These things are written in Scripture so that we do not sin. David says he stores up God's word in his heart so that he might not sin against him. Paul urges us in Ephesians 4 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Christian, hate sin, fight sin, look to Christ. As Christians, we must always be talking to ourselves, doing this mental battle within ourselves because that's where the battle begins. I can't tell you how many times I have out loud argued against sinful desires only to see people walking by like, that man has gone mad. (laughs) You kind of don't pay attention sometimes when you're in the heat of it. But the promises that sin 
gives, it never delivers upon. The joy it promises never comes. It's deceitful, just like your old heart was deceitful above all things. Sin never delivers what it promises it will, and I have to remind myself of the goodness and love of God through Christ Jesus. I have to remind myself that if I obey sin's temptation, I will dishonor the God whom I love, and it will leave me in shame and guilt, not in the joy it's declaring it will leave me in. Christian, this is where your war starts. Be ever on guard. You are not crazy. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember that Christ has won, that you have the victory in him. With that good news, I want to finish with my last point. Point three, the tools for the battle. The hope and aim for today's sermon really came from my time in John Owen's uh, books with the men that I disciple, and last week the lesson that I taught to our youth in Colossians. Uh, So turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians and look with me at what Paul calls us to do in this battle. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you have been truly saved, then the greatest tool that you can arm yourself with is to seek the things that are above. Christians, setting your mind on the things that are above will remind you of the greater value you have and the true promises of God who has saved you. How do you put off the old self? By reminding yourself who you are in Christ. By reminding yourself who your Lord and Savior is. By reminding yourself of God's promises and the fact that he will never fail. Reminding yourself of the majesty and holiness of God who has saved you, O wretched man. We saw that in Paul's closing point of chapter 7 in Romans when he declares, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Paul was not pleased that he had a constant battle to fight. He wasn't like, Thanks, Lord. Appreciate it. He is, however, pleased that this battle offers him opportunity to honor his Lord. And he is ever so pleased that God, through Christ Jesus, had rescued him from it. Do you feel weighted down by the struggle you have against your old self? Instead of focusing on the struggle, instead of focusing on your failure to put the old self off, think about things that are above. Change your focus. Remind yourself that you have in that moment, that very moment, another opportunity to make much of the Lord who has saved you. The battle is exhausting. Praise God for it. Because I get to declare that he is enough in it. Christians, we get to do that. 
You have died, and your new life, true life, is hidden with Christ in God. Look at what Paul declares at the end of our Colossians verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christian, when Jesus returns, all the things in your world that are wrong, that are hurtful, that cause suffering, uh, every single heartache you've ever had, all pain, all sin, everything that is not from God will be wiped away and we will enter into unspeakable joy forever with the treasure of our heart, with Christ himself. You will never again have to war against your old self who will be completely put away. The battle will be done and the joy and love and peace of Christ will flood your heart continually for eternity. You will be face to face with your creator, with your sustainer, and enjoy him forever. God has given us many tools to fight against our old selves, against our old sinful desires. Uh, The continual refrain from Scripture to fight is a tool we can use. God gives us clear warnings of his wrath for sin. And we can use that tool. It's It's not a worthless tool. It's a good tool for us as believers to remember that. However, as Paul states in this Colossians passage, setting our minds on the things that are above is the best tool for this battle. God has promised good to you, whom he has called his own according to his purpose and saved through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That is a thing that is above. What Jesus has done for sinners to make them his own at at the cost of his own blood, the cost of his perfect obedience, his sacrificial death, the beauty of gospel truths, that is a thing that is above. The world around you, in all of its magnificent, all of the beauty of creation, was given so that we would look to God and think about our wonderful creator. That is a thing that is above. You and I were dead in our sin. Hopeless. But God made you alive in Christ, Christian. That is a thing that is above. We could not earn God's favor. If if we have been saved, God gave freely favor to us before we existed owing nothing to us, as Pastor Matt said on Wednesday at our midweek lesson. That is a thing that is above. Christian, because God elected to save you before the foundation of the world based on nothing but his own sovereign choice to do so, you and I can never be taken from him. That is a thing that is above. All of God's promises will come true. That is a thing that is above. One day there will be no more hurt, no more death, no more suffering, no more sadness. We will live in our glorified bodies with Christ eternally. That is a thing that is above. When you are struggling with sin, when you're feeling inadequate 
to belong to God. Remind yourself of the things that are above. You and I are indeed inadequate, but Christ was not, and we are hidden in him. He was and is enough. Christian, we are saved because of God, and so we can remind ourselves that though we are not worthy, Christ was, and we trust in his finished work to redeem us so that we have nothing to fear, not even ourselves and our own failures, not even death. And that is a thing that is above. God is calling us to go to battle, that we might rightly honor him as the new creations he has made us. When we go to battle, when we fight against the old self, when we look toward the most amazing future we could ever imagine, and it's even better than we can fathom, we will find new joy in this battle. Are you tired from it? Focus on the things that are above. Remind yourself that every single little battle with sin and the old self is another opportunity to show God that he is your treasure, that you are no longer enslaved because of his finished work. We get to fight without the fear of failing. We get to look different than the world around us. And even better said, when we fail, we get to again turn our eyes to the things that are above and know that Jesus could not, did not, and will not ever fail. We will receive our prize one day, and it won't be based on what we did, but based on what Jesus did. Therefore, it cannot be taken What we are called to do is to run the race, to strive for growth and righteousness because it will bring us joy now and because it will honor God now. And because we cannot fail, we don't have to worry about not making it. My utmost desire for myself and and for you who have been saved is that we will together hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of anything in us any will that we mustered up, but because of the work of God in our hearts to grow us and to sanctify us, to honor him. Because of what God has done. Christian, Jesus is our prize. All the beauty of things that are above will be ours to behold in the face of Christ forever. So fight on. Dress for battle. Set your minds on the things that are above. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for Paul's uh, testimony here in in Romans chapter 7 and the reality that you know our hearts, that you know our struggles and, and the weight of this inner turmoil that we experience. And thank you most of all, Lord, that in Christ you have saved us from it. That though we have battles to fight, the war is won And Christ said, it is finished. He is victorious. And so even when we fail, we pray that your spirit would remind us who we are in Christ, that we would get back up and fight on, knowing that Christ is the victor and that we are hidden with him through your work. Lord, I pray that we would always be on guard and that we would remember we do not have to believe the deceitfulness of sin and we might honor you in all that we do
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.